great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to probe a great and consequential mystery. The mystery is what happened to the missing students. There has just been an analysis by Associated Press and uh, by Stanford University, which has found that across the country in 21 states, there have now been been an estimated 240,000 missing students from uh, public schools. These are 21 states where the absences could not be accounted for. Uh, that includes more than 10,000 students in Washington. In other words, everybody knows that there were kids who did not go to school during the pandemic, but these are kids who were in school class before the pandemic, but now they're gone. Uh, nobody better to speak to about this than one of the leading education reformers in the country. His name is Ian Rowe. He's been a guest on this show many times before. He is the author of the new book, Agency, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power. Uh, certainly, their pathway to power uh, doesn't mean them dropping out of uh, elementary school or middle school, uh, does it, Ian? No, it does not. Uh, Michael, it's such a pleasure to be with you again. But certainly, it's one indication that more and more Americans, based on what they saw during COVID, the lockdowns, the insufficient remote learning, Parents voted with their feet. You know, I suspect those 200 plus thousand will we'll ultimately find them in other localities. I mean, in New York City alone, our enrollment, you know, it used to be in a school system of 1.1 million students. Now it's just a little over 900,000. So this wow. phenomenon is occurring all across the country. And the good news, if there's any upside to the COVID um, pandemic and all the woke uh, lessons, critical race theory, all these things that, that uh, parents saw firsthand during the pandemic, is that it has led to a huge movement of school choice and more demand for charter schools and just more power in the hands of parents to choose the right school for their child. And uh, is there any evidence that uh, where that they have uh, applied the idea of school choice, that some of the kids oh. who were lost are actually coming back? Oh, well, I, I, th I think you're starting to see it in, for example, in uh, throughout the country and put in, especially in New York, because uh, I'm, I'm most familiar with New York because that's where I run my uh, international baccalaureate uh, charter high schools. But Catholic schools, just to give you an example, the, the um, enrollment in Catholic schools, which for years had been on the decline, has dramatically increased over the last uh, two to three years. There's a group called the Partnership Schools that documents the growth that their schools have, have experienced. And Frankly, they attribute it to one, they act, the, most Catholic schools actually stayed open during the pandemic, and so you actually had in-person instruction. Second, Catholic schools are grounded in core values, and so the phenomenon that seemed to take over a lot of other schools, sort of the woke ideology and uh, transgender content, 
uh, that just didn't that didn't um, impact Catholic schools in the same way because they had strong core values that that allowed them to kind of stay strong and stay committed to what the purpose of school was, which is you know education and not uh, indoctrination. I mean, one thing that's interesting is that in the black community, the U.S. Census Bureau uh, measures, they ask this question regularly of what is the level of interest in homeschooling? And the data shows that historically that number is around 3.3%. The last time that the U.S. Census Bureau measured that, I think it was last year, that number was 16.1% of parents in the black community who said that they were now uh, much more open to homeschooling. So some of those numbers uh, represent parents that are going outside of the traditional public school system. They're going to Catholic schools. They're going to charter schools. They're going to homeschools. They're going to pods, which are sort of smaller home created where a few parents get together. Um, Parents are just demanding uh, that, there be alternatives, particularly in low-income communities. I mean, middle and upper-class folks have had the power of choice for generations. But what about you know what about the folks living in the South Bronx or rural Appalachia? They want options, high-quality options. I know that uh, there's been quite a bit of attention to some of the progress in school choice in. Uh, Arizona under Governor yep. Doug Ducey and uh, yep. in Florida under Governor DeSantis. Uh, yes. And and Kim Reynolds in Iowa just signed a big home uh, yes. school choice. Uh, this is yes. a kind of is, – is this because they are finally able to get some bipartisan support or is this still mostly divided uh, issue with uh, Republicans in favor of school choice and Democrats not so much? Well, you know, I think and, – and first of all, this is huge news, quite underreported, but you're absolutely right. I mean, those are just three states. They're – probably um, well north of 20 that have implemented some kind of educational freedom or school choice act, which can take the form of uh, more charter schools. Even in New York State, Governor Hochul just uh, proposed to eliminate the cap that right now bans uh, leaders from launching charter schools in New York City. So there are more and more pieces of legislation that might be ESAs, which are educational scholarship accounts, where a a parent now has public money that they can use to take that money and send their child to a private school or a magnet school, in some states, even a religious school. And so when you ask, is this a function of bipartisanship? Um, Yeah, uh, but really it's even uh, Democratic elected officials recognizing that parents who are their constituents are saying, let's cut the ideology and let's just focus on having great opportunities for our kids. So honestly, this is, you know, arguably probably the most positive story coming out of in during these divisive times. But I'm hoping that it, it will endure. Well, one certainly hopes so. There's another minor victory which is now being questioned as being viewed by people on the left as a disaster involving the college board and the authorization of a a new advanced placement 
class in uh, yes. black history. Uh, yes. Do you think that the way the College Board has worked it out is actually more constructive? Well, as I understand it, the College Board made changes to the curriculum that was uh, initially opposed by the Department of Education in Florida, and for good reason, um, because as I understand it, they were introducing ideas like reparations or intersectionality ostensibly in favor of these things without in the curriculum having any opposing voices. This is not how we build critical, you know, young people with critical thinking skills being able to see multiple perspectives. And, and to the degree that they've uh, changed that, I think it's good. You know, if you introduce something like intersectionality, which is an ideology that says you're just multiply oppressed if you're black, if you're gay, if you're a woman, that's not an ideology that empowers kids. If you're going to teach it, you have to balance it with individual agency and the power that every young person has. And that takes us directly to agency. How do you help children overcome the victimhood narr narrative and, as your subtitle says, discover their pathway to power? We'll be right back with Ian Rowe of American Enterprise Institute coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. All of and on The Michael Medved Show, a uh, few minutes more, I'm proud to say with Ian Rowe, who is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He uh, writes about a declining sense of personal agency among America's young people. Uh, that's one of the greatest threats that our country faces, Ian suggests. That's the subject, the theme of his new book, Agency, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power. Now, by agency, you're talking about the old William Ernest Henley idea, I am the captain of my fate, I am the master of my soul, right? Oh, the yes, yes, yes. And That, that, op that opens my book, yes. <laughs> Does it really? Good for you. Yes. <laughs> in, in de indeed, I was just uh, uh, visiting a school in Wembley, England, a, a school in a predominantly low-income uh, part of the, uh, England, and the entire school learns that poem. So imagine, imagine a room full of about 120 students, almost all from low-income backgrounds, who've memorized this poem about overcoming adversity and challenges, and at the end, as they're reciting this poem, all of them, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's riveting and inspiring. There are no victims in that school. They are only architects of their own lives. And it's one of the reasons I've recently launched my own international baccalaureate high school in the Bronx because I don't want our kids to be living in a world in which they're learning. Well, intersectionality means that because you're of a certain race or of a certain gender or of a certain uh, economic class, that you're inherently less than. That is the most insidious and destructive message. And that's why I've written my book, Agency, to empower young people to know that they can have path, pathways to power 
uh, in their own lives, and they don't need to succumb to these oppressive ideologies. Okay, so what is the most essential first step to encourage agency, to help uh, young people on their pathway to power? And yeah. how, how do we take that as a society, uh, not just as administrators for a very much needed and, and very valuable school such as you've taken on? Yeah. Well, one thing that I'm actually doing, Michael, your, your, your um, viewers or listeners may be interested to know, we're actually developing a curriculum for how to cultivate agency. Uh, we're making it um, with American Enterprise Institute, and this will be free of charge to any teachers in the country who are seeking an innovative curriculum to answer the very question that you're asking. Because the very first part of cultivating agency in young people is first just establishing a self-belief. You know, I define agency as the force of your free will guided by moral discernment, the force of your free will guided by moral discernment, that we all have free will. We all have power to make this, the decisions. But the question is, how are you going to exercise that power? How are you going to wield your free will in such a way that you make positive decisions for yourself and your own community. And that's why in the book, I, I write so um, strongly about these four pillars, family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship, that if you start with a core belief that there is a relationship between my actions and my outcomes, then that's the first step of cultivating agency, that you are an architect of your own life, that you are helping to shape your destiny. And unfortunately, we're at a time where there are these ideologies like intersectionality, like critical race theory, like all these sort of um, America is inherently this, you know, systemically oppressive country. There are these ideologies out there that, in my view, are sapping young people of the self-belief. And so I've not only written this book agency, but we're developing a free curriculum that my hope will be distributed all across the country as a very practical tool that teachers will be able to use to help young people understand the power that they do have. And uh, for in your book agency, I know that the four-point plan that you talk about, uh, family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship, uh, it actually, if you take the the opening letters of each of those concepts, it spells out F R E E, free. Yes. And if you want a life of freedom, yes. Right, and and again, this is this is uh, what a concept in American education, uh, and what's fascinating to me is earlier today in the show we were talking to Nicholas Eberstadt who's your colleague at American Enterprise yeah. Institute and he's talking about this terrible thing we have in the country right now where there are jobs that are available that people aren't filling and jobs that pay a great deal of money uh, and I mean really substantial rewards for people but they're not taking them on but it, it, go ahead. 
No, no. Nick has been a great chronicler of this phenomena, you know, particularly to young men, you know, particularly to young men who are sort of exiting uh, the workplace, not entering relationships, who are, you know, rather spending time playing video games or consuming pornography, but not engaging in life. And which is, again, one of the reasons, uh, you know, our framework free, I'll, t- I'll give you the, f- the first F. Uh, is family and free, and uh, the 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 you know the observation I have made of young people who are from challenging situations, who enter young adulthood, and um, who face challenges, and yet were, were able to change their cycle of disadvantage to break it, has to do with the series of decisions, which includes work. So in my book, I speak a lot about something called the success sequence, which is data that says if you finish just your high school degree, then get a full-time job of any kind just so you learn the dignity and discipline of work. And then if you have children, if you get married first, 97% of millennials who follow that series of decisions avoid poverty. Which is an amazing fact, insight. That's from Isabel Sawhill, right? From yes, uh, Brookings, exactly, Brookings yes. Institution. Yes. Not a conservative outfit, but it's it's so essential. If you keep in mind those three things, your chances of avoiding poverty and heartbreak are so vastly increased. Your chances will also be increased with the new book by Ian Rowe, Agency, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power. May you have a continued pathway that is blessed toward a power to help your fellow Americans. Uh, we will be right back on The Michael Medved Show. Uh, Michael Medved show uh, the idea that uh, Republicans are making a mistake unless they focus and focus with ferocity and passion on issues of education and character formation. It's all essential and uh, they need to do that uh, with examples like Ian Rowe, who we just heard from, especially given the the collapse of American public education. There is no reason why the United States of America, which is still the wealthiest country in the world, uh, simply can't do a better job with our education system. Um, Baltimore. Okay, uh, they give tests to the students to see if they're performing up to grade level, and usually those tests are concentrated in the fourth grade and then they go ahead to the eighth grade and um <laughs> the uh in in baltimore they tested uh some uh, 43 schools to see how the kids were doing in math and uh it turned out that in 23 schools there wasn't a single student who was performing 
up to grade level in mathematics. That's in 23 schools. And 20 more schools had uh, at uh, uh, two students or less who tested at grade level. In other words, can you imagine being the only kid in your school who's performing at a fourth grade level when you're in fourth grade? Uh, this is uh, uh, Fox 45 News in Baltimore questioned some leaders about these incredibly depressing and disturbing math scores in Baltimore schools. Listen. We have tried to track down several lawmakers here in Annapolis representing Baltimore City to question them about these test scores and what they're going to do about it. We sent questions earlier today to the delegation asking who do they hold accountable and what they're going to do to fix this proficiency problem. We did track down a couple of them. We tried to question Delegate Stephanie Smith. She's the chair of an education subcommittee. She had a hearing earlier today not taking our questions. We also tracked down two other delegates and asked them the same questions. I want you to take a listen and watch this exchange. I sent you an email about the 23 schools in Baltimore City who have zero students who are proficient Would in math. you do a, score, a school story about something succeeding in the schools, I, I'll respond. You never do. So, who do you hold accountable for the failing? Your boss. Your boss is for the distorted coverage you provided. Well, the data came from Baltimore City Public Schools. You can see there Delegate Sandy Rosenberg not answering the questions. Delegate Robin Lewis was also standing there. She, too, not answering. Uh, not tremendously encouraging. And then again, there's also a question not only about being proficient in math, uh, but uh, maybe having some character because the whole idea of education has traditionally, for years and years and years, going back to mid medieval period and before, had to do with character formation as well as skills acquisition. Uh, and that brings us to the latest update on The Great Pretender. Call me a liar. I, I faked my way to Congress, which is absolutely amazing. I like blowing stories that are not there up. I'm Jewish. Remember, I was raised Catholic. I'm not a facade. I'm not a persona. Call me a liar. And, uh... No, it's not false at all. It's the latest on uh, George uh, Santos is a piece in the Washington Post. Uh, the New York Times has been having too much fun with him, and Washington Post is now picking it up the trail. A dateline, York County, Pennsylvania. It was after dark when George Santos approached the farmer in Pennsylvania's Amish country looking to buy at least eight puppies. He promised wire transfer of more than $5,000, the farmer said, but it never appeared. He said Santos ended up writing a smaller check and driving off with four golden retriever puppies. Something inside me said, I just cannot trust this guy, the farmer told the Washington Post, speaking on the condition of anonymity to protect his privacy. The check quickly bounced. The farmer, who has not previously spoken to the media, said he called police after the encounter in 2017. 
It took nearly two years for the authorities to locate Santos back home in New York, but he was eventually charged with theft by deception, according to a brief mention in The Star, a newspaper in York County. In May 2021, the paper reported the case was dismissed under a provision of Pennsylvania law that allows misdemeanor charges to be dropped when a prosecutor consents and satisfaction has been made to the agreed person. Indeed, the farmer said he was finally paid for his four dogs. In his handwritten bank ledger, he wrote, George Santos reimburse bad check. The farmer told the Post he did not think that Santos, a Republican elected to Congress in November, after brazenly lying to voters about his past, should ever be anywhere near public office. Quote, sometimes people change for the better, the farmer said, but would he really after crimes like this? Okay, it goes on. Why was he buying all these puppies? Because he was selling them and claiming he was rescuing these puppies from uh, oblivion, that they were they were strays, they were giveaways, they were going to die otherwise. And this was the way he was working his unrecognized charity, which he lied about, said that it was a, uh, a, a officially recognized tax-exempt institution. What the, they point out is that... Um, the Justice Department is now investigating Santos's campaign finances amid questions about $700,000 in loans he reported making to his 2022 campaign and $254,000 in payments the campaign briefly reported to recipients listed as anonymous. Wait, wait. They're making $254,000 in payments from the campaign to unknown people? Anonymous people. A Santos uh, attorney refused to comment on the investigation. Well, of course. The farmer with the Golden Retriever puppies in York County said Santos arrived after 9 p.m. on November 13, 2017. Santos said he would pay more than $5,000 by wire transfer for eight puppies, the farmer said. And he insisted that he could see via his cell phone that the money had been transferred. He was there for more than an hour trying to convince me, the farmer said. His tongue waggles. He talks fast. Smooth talker is how I'm going to explain it. Wary, the farmer called his bank, which had a customer service line open late. He was told no payment had been wired to his account. Santos then offered to take just four dogs and to pay by check. Santos said he would come back with cash for the rest of the puppies, but he never did. The post is not specifying the exact amount of the check to protect the farmer's anonymity. The uh, other breeder who identified Santos from a photograph said Santos gave him a check that same night for two German shepherd puppies. After the check bounced, the breeder said he tried to Cantos, uh, contact Santos by phone, but no luck. I tried to reach him back numerous times, never got an answer, the breeder said. It just about floors me that you tell me that this person is now a member of Congress. People like this need to be stopped. Uh, I think that's true. What caught my attention was the check just had his name on it. It didn't have his address, his phone number, nothing, one of the breeders said. The other said, obviously, he was going around buying puppies. Uh, the breeder gave him a... And then he, of course, sold these puppies to others. 
Uh, we will get to more coming up. Michael Medved show. Uh, Jeremy, just to finish up what we were just talking about, uh, I think we should uh, give a, a an appropriate tribute of the tweet of the day. Turn the page now to the internet. I mean, wow, what a great, smart tweet. Change his password so he no longer has access to his Twitter feed. Did you send the tweet? I did not send that tweet. My system was hacked. I was pranked. Donald Trump hasn't tweeted at us once, and I'm starting to get worried about him. So we have a new tweet. All right. Can I do the honors? Stand by. Tweet alert. Yes, this tweet is uh, from, uh, well, it's from at Santos 4, number 4, Congress, and it's from George Santos. And... He says in his tweet sent out today on Valentine's Day, by the way, happy Valentine's Day to everybody. And uh, it should be a celebration of love and lasting commitment and (laughs) all good things. But okay, Uh, not a commitment to George Santos because I don't think his service in Congress is going to last that long. But he said, let me be very clear. I'm not leaving. I'm not hiding and I am not backing down. I will continue to work for New York District 3, and no amount of Twitter trolling will stop me. I'm looking forward to getting what needs to be done, done! Exclamation point. Okay, when it says he's not backing down, uh, does, does that mean that you don't acknowledge your mistakes or crimes? I, uh, I, I think that this question of not backing down, he's already being investigated by prosecutors in at least two countries and at least four states, including this case in Pennsylvania with the, with the um, puppy problem. And uh, again, with this non-existent charity that he's set up, which is also a problem, which is also 240,000 people that, $240,000 that he paid to uh, anonymous recipients that he doesn't have on his records. This is in campaign funds. I I mean, this is extraordinary. You know, Dinesh D'Souza went to jail for a, a, a really what, what seemed a picayune campaign uh, infraction. And uh, what you're dealing with here is so much worse. And uh, uh, it's just one of those things that uh, this is one of the reasons that people lose any kind of confidence in uh, our congressional system. Another reason has to do with the fact that uh, the the political system seems incapable of answering the desires of the public. And uh, they, um, William McGurn in the Wall Street Journal has a, a very disturbing but fascinating column that says Joe Biden is running. 
Though some have called on him not to seek re-election in 2024 for the good of the Democratic Party, including three New York Times columnists in the past week, most observers know what one of those columnists, Maureen Dowd, acknowledged. The 46th president is in no mood to listen. Democrats who want the president to step aside have good arguments from polls showing most Democrats want someone else atop the 2024 ticket to legitimate fears about Mr. Biden's health. But those arguments aren't going anywhere, and they won't so long as no Democrat is willing to primary him. There's no shortage of possibilities, writes Bill McGurn. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, boy, that would be an interesting thing, wouldn't it? Harris uh, versus Biden again after, remember when she attacked him in the one of the early debates on the Democratic side? She attacked him for having been opposed to forced busing uh, 40 years earlier. Anyway, that would uh, in turn clear the way for candidates to emerge. There's no shortage of possibilities either. Vice President Kamala Harris, Senator Elizabeth Warren, heaven help us, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom, Michigan Governor Big Gretch, Gretchen Whitmer, and Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro were just a few. What is the deal with Josh Shapiro? I mean, he was a good attorney general in Pennsylvania. Okay. But he just became governor a month ago. And already they're, they're talking about Josh Shapiro for president? Please. It's still possible the deal lines to get on state primary ba- ballots, the deadlines to get on state primary ballots aren't until the late fall, which is a long time in politics. The economy could go south. Uh, with Moscow, Beijing, Pyongyang, and Tehran all in a belligerent mood, the administration would find itself facing another conflict that reminds voters of the humiliating retreat from Afghanistan. Here at home, meanwhile, there is a clear dissonance between the American people's definition of success and Washington's. And he goes on, he says, whatever the reality today, Joe Biden sees himself as a strong, transformative president, especially after the midterms are at least stronger than any potential challenger. He is now making clear he won't go gentle into that good night. If Democrats really want someone different atop their ticket in 2024, and the polls all show that over 60 percent, over 60 percent of Democrats want somebody else other than Biden, uh, they need to first come up with a candidate strong enough to take the nomination away from him. Could this really be uh, like um, Jimmy Carter contesting the nomination with Ted Kennedy? Well, there's no Ted Kennedy who seems to be ready to take on Joe Biden. Could it be like Lyndon Johnson uh, contesting with Eugene McCarthy and then later with Robert Kennedy? Uh, possible. Who knows? But the uh, the point being that right now with the level of difficulty which goes way beyond inflation and goes way beyond worries about the economy and really goes to some very serious in issues with foreign policy and uh, uh, the balloon obsession doesn't necessarily help we'll be talking about this more tomorrow Uh, right now there is a, a new film about Dolly Parton, except it's not the real Dolly Parton. It's a fake Dolly Parton. It's about a Dolly Parton impersonator 
and it's been drawing a great deal of acclaim. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. A rising star from Australia, Crew Boylan, plays a real estate agent who loses her job and then indulges her passion for impersonating Dolly Parton in the outrageous new comedy Seriously Red, now playing in theaters and available to rent on multiple streaming services. What are you going to do? We're casting for a new Dolly at the moment. Let's see what you're made of. This is where I belong. Show me what you're made of. That's Bobby Cannavale, who plays a Neil Diamond impersonator, while glamorous star Rose Byrne is unrecognizable as an Elvis impersonator. The movie is skillfully put together and both funny and sad, focusing on the extreme lengths that people will go to in order to assume the personalities of celebrated celebrities. There's no real plot or resolution, with the main tension involving whether a breast augmentation surgery will work. Rated R for nudity and sex references, two stars for this seriously odd, seriously red. And speaking of uh, seriously odd, uh, there is a quote uh, that needs no comment, but we will identify the source. The quote says, uh, we hear all this talk nonstop about George Floyd, right? But yet no one cares about Ashley Babbitt. Nobody cares about her. Who said that? We will get to that on Wednesday on the Michael Medved Show. And can Democrats solve their Kamala Harris problem? Uh, what is that problem and how can it be solved? We'll talk to a political science professor at the University of Chicago, Charles Lipson, uh, coming up tomorrow. And uh, preschoolers, more and more, particularly in states where they have legalized weed, marijuana, are now eating their parents' pot gummies. It's as if 50 years of poison control lessons have just gone out the window. And uh, there is this as well. The Washington Post, after tracking every single school shooting over the past five years, writes, most school shootings are preventable. But if they have to say that, then they're going to have to tell us how. That and more coming up next time in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.